James chapter 5. So again, James here, he's writing to a church, a group of people that he loves. The first few verses in chapter 5, it's speaking of those who take advantage of the poor. Again, there is really no one to protect the poor. There is no one to protect the fatherless, the widow, the prisoner. Those who are being taken advantage of, especially by those who had so much wealth and money and power. And what was James's prescription to the believers? To be patient, to endure, to be patient. And then after that, he goes from being patient. Then he tells us to establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So for us to have the perseverance, the strength that's needed. We talked about it's not a patience of just being at the DMV and saying, Hey, I'm going to just take a nap here on these chairs until they call my name. But it's the patience of a marathon. The patience someone puts 300 pounds on your back and says, Hey, Squat that 10 times. That's the perseverance that it's talking about that we need as we go through circumstances that aren't fair. We need perseverance. And then what's the next thing we need? Is to establish our hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. You see things that aren't fair. You see things that aren't right. Now we look to the judge. We look to the only one who's going to make everything right. Again, we're praying during this season. The Supreme Court, they're not going to make everything right. Our president, they're not going to make everything right. It's only the Lord. So that's why our hope needs to be in him. Our hearts need to be established in Jesus Christ because his foundation is the only one that's not going to move and that's not going to let us down. Then after that, he warned us, hey, do not grumble, right? Do not murmur. And who do we tend to grumble and murmur about? Our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Can you believe they did this? Can you believe they voted for so-and-so, right? Can you believe they had Thanksgiving? Can you believe they didn't have Thanksgiving, right? Whatever it may be in our hearts that we would not grumble and complain about one another. Because again, the Lord is coming at any moment. And then he tells us, hey, look at the prophets. We remember Jeremiah, 40 years ministering. That guy had a lot of patience, right? A lot of perseverance. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know if I could take 40 years of coming to church and nobody's in the chairs. I don't know, I don't know if I could handle that, right? But he goes, 40 years and not one convert. Not one convert. The Lord's asking him to do all sorts of weird things, right? And he's still trusting in the Lord. That's perseverance. And then he mentioned Job and all that Job went through. And Job wasn't aware of God's plan. But there in those last chapters of Job, we see God's plan. God's plan was about boasting in Job. Trusting in Job and what the Lord was allowing to come through him. And then what did the Lord do at the end? He gave him abundantly above all he could ask, think, or imagine. He repaid him not just what he had, but even more so. So again, as we go through things that are not fair, be patient. Don't complain. Focus on the Lord. Focus on his coming. And remember his heart for us. As we go through trials, as we go through difficulties, he's not trying to destroy us. He's not trying to beat us up. He loves us. He cares for us. His plans for us is, again, is to prosper us. And there's going to be difficulties in time as we're going to see that at times it's to create something in us. That's the most important thing. And that's to become more and more like Jesus. More and more loving. More and more patient. More and more excited for the rapture and his coming than anything else. And then he transfers into verse 12, and he says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. 
So again, there's two ways that we can take this right. Do not swear. If we're honest, when things aren't fair, when things aren't right, when we're going under trial, some of us, maybe not others, we're prone to swear in several ways, right? So first and foremost, we know that our speech as believers, it should be clean. It should be pure. It should be holy. But that's not truly what James is talking about or the context here. He's saying that, hey, as we are suffering, don't allow the suffering to now give you an excuse to begin to lie and to no longer be known for the truth. Sometimes we let our circumstances dictate who we are, if we're really honest. Our circumstances come and now we say, you know what? I have an excuse to be a completely different person now. Because they hurt my heart, so now I get to become a crazy person, right? And I get to attack them and everything they think, everything they love because I'm going under this trial. But no, we should stay the same. We should stay settled, right? Again, we look at Job. And even before Job, we look at Jesus Christ. And he went through a few things that were not fair. I think we can all agree, right? He went through a lot of things that weren't fair, but yet he stayed the same. He stayed exactly who he was trusting in the Lord, not murmuring or complaining. All his disciples, his 12 best friends, one of them leaves a knife in his back, right? The other 11 leave him in his moment of need. And nowhere in Scripture do we see Jesus complaining about them, right? Murmuring about them, talking bad about them. It's not speaking of some people are going to take this out of context. Oh, I can't swear under oath. James chapter 5, right? You can't take me to court. I can't swear under oath. No, that's not what he's talking about whatsoever. We go to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, he speaks on this same subject. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 through 37. And Jesus says, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Again, our speech should be known for truth. Not for kidding around, not for joking around, much less for lying. And we all know those types of people, right? Maybe we've been that type of person that we lie so much that we need to swear by something bigger and bigger every time to get someone to believe you, right? Maybe you remember that person in middle school. No, man, I, I swear, I swear. Then it's even more, no, no, I really swear, right? I swear on my mom, I swear on my mother's grave, I swear on the Lord, right? And they try to make it bigger and bigger so you actually believe them. But what you, we should be doing is taking a step back and saying, dude, why do you have to swear on anything? Why can't you just tell me this is what you're going to do? And because you're always honest, because you always do what you say that you're going to do, that's it. That's good enough for me. So again, for us as believers, we should be known, we emphasize, right? We should be known by our love, but we should also be known by the truth. We need both of those things in balance, both of those things in harmony. Because sometimes if we're honest, we do so much for the sake of love, that now we begin to leave truth. And then other times we can be doing so much for the sake of truth that we've left love completely behind and now we're using the Bible to just whack everyone around us, right? And there's no love there. So we need that balance of truth and love. Again, believer, what are you known for, right? It's Christmas 
Maybe some parents will get mad at me. Hopefully none of the sixth graders here are going to be blown away, right? I think we all know Santa's not real, right? I hope so. I hope I didn't just blow anybody's mind, right? But I remember someone speaking to me that their parents had always told them Santa was real. And then one year came when they realized Santa wasn't real. But you know what the very next sentence the kid said was? Are you telling me Jesus isn't real either? And that's exactly what happened, right? So again, as parents, are we speaking truth to our children? Some of us, oh, I got to write down like that. Well, I have a conversation after we leave here, right? Are we known for truth, right? I hope none of you here as parents, you tell your kids, hey, if you don't obey, the police are going to come, right? I think we've all heard those, at least in Hispanic circles, right? La policia viene, right? There's a rescue vehicle going by and say, the cops are going to get you, right? And the kids are all freaking out, right? That we would be known for the truth. You don't have to be afraid of the police. You got to be afraid of God and me as your parent, right? That we would be known for the truth. So even in extreme circumstances where evil rich men are taking advantage of us, we should be known for the truth. We should be the same person in adversity and the same person in wealth. We should be the same because that's who Jesus is, right? Same yesterday, today, and forever. You take the extremes, highs and lows of Jesus, right? King of kings, Lord of lords on the throne room of heaven. And he's the same being as he was being put to death, being whipped, being beaten, being bruised. No change. Same exact person. And we as believers, Christians, little Christs, we're called to be the same person. Now, James, he changes gears here, still keeping in mind suffering, things not being fair, still keeping in mind that we as believers, we should not be known for complaining or murmuring. Then he goes to verse 13 and he says, hey, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Again, instead of, hey, if you're suffering, don't be murmuring, don't be complaining. Instead of that, Begin to pray. If you are cheerful, instead of, again, complaining or boasting, let him sing psalms. Again, that's the context here. That's what James is telling us here. That word suffering, some of us, we don't need a dictionary for the word suffering. We know exactly what suffering means, right? But maybe we fall on the cheerful end of the spectrum. So we got to be reminded, right? Suffering, it means afflicted, feeling pain. Experiencing something unpleasant, bearing loss or damage. And I think we've been there where seasons of affliction, seasons of pain, seasons of things that are not pleasant, where we're losing, where there's damage. We've been seasons where we're hurting. And again, for us as believers, we need to be reminded that there's brothers and sisters around us that this is the season that they're in. But what he tells us to do It's to pray. It's to bring it to the Lord. And it's the same equation at the end of the day for both of these things. If you're glad, if you're mad, if you're hurt, bring it to the Lord. You're happy? Bring it to the Lord. You're sad? Bring it to the Lord. No matter what season of life we're in, bring it to the Lord. And in suffering, we should be praying, Lord, your will be done. Again, we go back to Jesus, right? Our ultimate example. His moment of greatest suffering, his moment of greatest trial, I don't think any of us have been there, where we're under so much stress that our blood vessels, 
and I don't know if they're called sweat vessels, but our, our sweat glands and blood vessels burst and we're beginning to sweat blood. I don't know if any of us have gone through that much affliction, right? That much suffering. And yet what does Christ say? Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will. Lord, let yours be done. And again, he's our example. He's our chief. He's our king of kings, our lord of lords. He's our commander. So now as we go through suffering, we should be praying, Lord, your will be done. And there's several reasons why we go through suffering and affliction. The very first one is we live in a sinful world. Sometimes we need a little bit of pain, a little bit of affliction, a little bit of something unpleasant. A little loss or damage to remind us this is not our home. You know that your home is perfect? Your home is perfect. In our home, again, if you're a believer, I hope this is your home. There's no crying. There's no pain. There's joy. There's no stealing. It's perfection. That's our home. This world is not our home. And sometimes we can forget that this world is our mission field where our commander, we looked at that last time, right? He's given us talents and he says, occupy till I come, right? Hey, work until I come. This is not our home. This is our job site in a sense. This is our mission field in a sense. And he says, hey, work until I come back. Again, there's seasons of rest, seasons of vacation and retreats. But the overall view of the believer's life should be seen as work unto the Lord. Not work unto myself. Not work for my own pleasure. Work unto the Lord. So the very first reason we go through suffering and affliction is this world is sinful. This world is broken. This world is not the perfection that God intended. That's the first reason. Another reason because the Lord is growing us. God is growing us. He's stretching us. He's showing us more of himself. We're learning to love more. We're seeing more of ourselves sometimes when we go through suffering and pain. And he's growing us. Next, he may be chastening us because of our sins. That's a tough one for us to deal with. We usually go to one extreme or the other, right? Or we think when, we, when we're going through pain and affliction, it's everyone else's fault but mine. That's some of us. The other end of it is any little thing that happens is all because of me and I'm a terrible person, right? It's hard to be in the middle there, but that's an option. That's a possibility. We can be going through affliction because the Lord is chastening us because of our sins, because we're not being obedient. The next reason is because the Lord might be giving us experience so that we can minister to someone else down the line. You may be going through something so painful. You may have gone through so much loss. You may be going through something so unpleasant, so much affliction, that you're saying, Lord, why? But as you stick through the trial, as you stick through the temptation, years later, you're going to hear someone else going through the same thing, right? Or you're going to hear someone else that got a paper cut and they're just dying. They're falling apart and you get to... Put your arm around them and encourage them and love on them on what you've gone through. We were here in Young Adults and one of the guys was referencing how he was able to minister to a parent that lost, I believe it was a 13-year-old, because he lost his mom when he was a teenager. So now because he had gone through that life experience, the moment he says, hey, I know what it's like to lose someone you love. I lost my mom. Right there, there's a connection. 
right? There, there's a level of respect, right? You can't come to someone who's lost their 13-year-old son and say, I've been there. I lost, I lost my favorite race car when I was a kid and I can't find it. They're going to say, who in the world are you? Get out of here, right? But if we've gone through turmoil and pain and loss, we can minister to others who have gone through it. And hopefully we're ministering the gospel to them. But again, as we're in that season, what should we do? Pray. Again, chapter 5, we talked about chapter 1 through 5, right? The outline, chapter 5, a mature believer prays. And hopefully no one here wants to be an immature believer, right? So we should be praying. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, hopefully... You memorize this verse, you know this verse already without us even turning there. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. One of the translations says, hey, worry for nothing and pray for everything. Worry for nothing and pray about everything. You're going through affliction. Is your worrying going to help you? Is your worrying going to help you get healthier or better? No, the doctor is going to say the opposite. You got to take your mind off of this. You got to worry less, right? We know that stress and worry, it exhausts us. It actually brings down our immune system. So again, the Lord tells us, hey, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, again, with thanksgiving, gratitude, take it to the Lord. So you're in affliction, you're in suffering right now, you're in pain, worry about nothing, pray about everything, take it all to the Lord. Then he goes right opposite spectrums. He speaks about those going through suffering and affliction, and now he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. What I've noticed is, and I think it's, we hear those sayings in life, right? Sometimes it takes more maturity to go through the good and cheerful seasons in life as a believer than it takes to go through the affliction and suffering. Because then your connection to God, if we're honest, it's even more so dependent on your just plain love for Him no matter what you're going through. Again, as we go through that chastening, that affliction, that pain, we're crying out to God because sometimes we're in seasons where, Lord, I can't cry to anyone else. No one else is going to help my healing here. No one else is going to help the pain that I'm going through. So, Lord, of course I'm going to come and pray to you. But when we're going through seasons of joy and gladness, if we're honest, we can leave the Lord behind. We can forget about him. You get recently engaged, you recently have a baby, and you're so happy you just forget about the Lord. You don't got to go to church so often. Prayer meeting is not that important. And then you flashback, right? Ten years earlier when you were single and like weeping and crying and it was really sad. Your buddies would hold you, but it was like kind of sad, kind of don't want to be around there, right? You'd be at every service because you were in affliction and mourning and pain. But now the Lord gives you what you want and you say, you know what? I don't need that that much. So what should we do when we're cheerful is to sing psalms. Let him sing psalms. In the Greek, it's talking about plucking strings, right? I know each of us, we're not a guitarist. We're not a harpist, right? I don't know if that's the right word there. But hey, we should be coming to church within the body of believers and be singing psalms. Because what happens when the believer who's hurting comes to church and the believer who's cheerful comes to church? We're able to what? Minister to one another. Because you've been there before when you're in worship and you're in so much pain, you cannot sing. 
You're going through so much turmoil, you're crying so much, you can't even sing. But then you hear the voices of the body of Christ singing, and it ministers to you. It brings comfort to you, and that's why we need the whole body of Christ, whether you're cheerful or whether you're in anguish in this season. We need to be coming together, not murmuring, not complaining, but coming together and bringing everything before the Lord. We should be singing songs of praise to God. Again, the first thing we do when we're cheerful it shouldn't be like, hey, let me record this to put it on the gram, right? I'm happy right now, so I have to put this for social media for everybody else to help me feel even better than I already feel, right? That's not what we should be doing. We should be singing songs of gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. Now we go to a new level of maturity. Cheerfulness doesn't necessarily depend on what's going on around you. Cheerfulness is really dependent on the heart. And dependent on our view of our circumstances. I remember we went to Utila. And we went on a missions trip. And we were there ministering to this family. This family, it was crazy. It was literally a shack that was built, half built if you want to say that, on uh, super sharp rocks that were connected to a pond that was also the city sewer and dump. So we come to this house, it's, it's sad, it's broken, it's bad news, barely any windows, doors, we're here ministering to them, but they had four kids, and those four kids, no shirts, no shoes, but guess what they're doing? They're playing tag on the sharp rocks right next to the sewer-infested pond, right? And they're having the time of their life. We got there, and we're all like you guys right now, like broken and sad, like, dude, how are you guys living here? Four kids, they could care less. They're playing tag. They're running around. My wife was like, you got to tell them to be careful. I'm like, no, love, they live here, right? This is what they do every single day. And again, it's all how we view things. We go to Acts chapter 16. And a reminder to us, our cheerfulness, our happiness, a lot of it has to do with our view of God versus our view of our circumstances. Acts chapter 16, again, I'll be honest with you, I would say this is a bad day for a, for a Christian or for a believer. If this happened to me at the end of church, I would say, Lord, today was a bad day. Today wasn't a good day. Acts chapter 16, verse 22, this is Paul and Silas. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Again, we stop there and we say, okay, Lord, is this a season of affliction or is this a season of cheerfulness, right? But again, look how brother Paul and Silas go through verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Again, what's our attitude as we go through things? Are we able to say, Lord, you are greater than my circumstances. Lord, if I'm going through this, I can sing. I can be excited. Lord, what are you going to do with this? Lord, am I going to go home to be with you? Lord, I'm excited for that. Lord, are you going to bust me out of prison? Lord, are people going to get saved? Lord, what are you doing? Again, we should be singing songs of praise to God when we're cheerful. 
Guys, you're excited about your favorite team winning football, your fantasy teammates to the playoffs? Hey, you should be here on Sunday and the men should be singing as loud as the women or even louder. Whenever we're going through seasons of gratitude, cheerfulness, thanksgiving, we should be singing to the Lord. Again, don't be fearful. Sing to the Lord. It's all over scripture to sing to the Lord. It's not only for the ladies. It's not only for the gifted. It's for the believer. To sing in the worship team, you have to be gifted. I'm sorry. That's just the way it goes. And it's funny. That's like the only ministry where we have like problems with that, right? How many people go to translation? Hey, I don't speak Spanish, but the Lord has put it in my heart to be in translation. He's, he's put a burden on my heart to be in translation, right? You need the giftings. If you don't have the talent... Everybody's going to be turning around saying, this guy's speaking Spanglish. He's not speaking Spanish to me, right? It's, it's the only ministry. Right? The Lord has, Carlos, God has put a burden on my heart to serve those gyros, right? He's just put a burden to serve that tzatziki. The Lord, he just, he just put it on me, right? Again, everyone, every believer is called to sing, to sing psalms, right? But again, we got to be gifted. Can't have a pastor that can't speak English in an English-speaking church. We all need the giftings for the different ministries. But we continue before I get myself into too much trouble. Uh, back to James chapter 5. So we talked about those who are going through affliction, suffering. Those who are going through seasons of gladness and they're cheerful. And then verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, this verse, sometimes we get freaked out by it, right? What in the world is going on here, right? So again, we take it verse by verse, word by word, chapter by chapter. The first thing is, if anyone is sick, the biblical prescription is for the one who is sick to call for the elders of the church. You're going through sickness. You're going through affliction. Don't go through it alone. And we're all prone to trying to go through it alone. Right? We are talking with the pastors during this whole season. We say, man, why did so-and-so get sick? They didn't even tell us, right? But then some of the pastors got sick and why didn't you tell us, man? Right? We, we go through that. We go through affliction, and we don't want anyone else to know that we're going through affliction, right? Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's the Spirit and the Lord. Sometimes we just want to be left alone. But when we're going through sickness and affliction, again, take it to the Lord, and now you let the elders of the church know. And now what the elders should do is to pray for whoever is sick. That's the first thing we should do is to pray for one another. That's why we've been praying for our brothers and sisters going through different sicknesses, different health problems in this season. But now if they ask for it, being obedient to God's word, the elders are to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is the oil special? Is the oil holy? Is, does the oil do a miracle and a great work? It's not the oil. It's the Lord, and if the Lord wants to do it, he'll do it. Sometimes it's olive oil, sometimes it's badia, sometimes it's goya, right? Sometimes it's synthetic, sometimes it's nara, it's any type of oil, right? 
Whatever is there. If we were biblical, what we would do is get a whole jar of oil and pour it over your head. That's truly what they did in biblical times as a view of the Holy Spirit now filling your whole body. And as that Goya oil goes down your face, you're thinking, Lord, you're filling me with your Holy Spirit. Again, we take, so you don't say, man, I got to get the right clothes if I want to get, if I get sick. No, we get a little bit of oil. We just put it on your forehead. We pray over you. And we do it in the name of the Lord. There's two things here, right? We talked about that oil. It's a representation of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would have his work over you. But many scholars agree that oil was also used as medicine in this time. If you remember, Jesus, when he's speaking to the disciples, they say, who's, right? Okay, Lord, you want me to love my neighbor, but who's my neighbor, right? Who do I actually have to love? And we talk about that man. He gets beaten up. Everybody steps over him, the priest, the Sadducee, they could care less about him. But then the Samaritan man, he comes, he binds his wounds, and he anoints him with oil. It was also used as a medicine. So again, what we can actually take from this is that we shouldn't go, like we've been talking about, going from one extreme to the other. As believers, we should not only go to medicine, nor should medicine be the first thing that we turn to. If we're, again, we're reading chapter 14, the first thing we should do is pray as we go through affliction. If you're sick, man, you call for the elders. And what's the first thing they should do? They should pray. But then you need to pray and ask, Lord, how do you want to heal me? Because the Lord, he heals in different ways. Just as Jesus, all of his miracles, they're all different. Different amounts of fish, different amounts of bread. Sometimes there's mud, sometimes there's go away, sometimes there's stay here. All sorts of different things. So sometimes the Lord wants to heal you with the medicine and the technology that we have. Again, we're, we're funny as humans. Sometimes you say, Lord, the Lord's put on my heart, in my heart, there's no more medicine anymore, right? The Lord's going to do it. I don't see anyone very often, right? Sunday morning rolls around, the Lord's put in my heart, I'm not going to drive my car anymore. The Lord, hey, the Lord did it to Philip. He's just going to take me to church today, right? The Lord, he's just, Lord, do it. Lord, you're going to do it. Lord, trans. And again, we're funny. Sometimes we're funny. We need the balance there that we should be filled with faith. Lord, heal me. And we're going to see that the person needs to be filled with faith. The pastors need to be filled with faith. But we also need to be wise. Again, even Paul told Timothy, Timothy, he has stomach problems, probably, again, his anxiety, his fearfulness, his timidity. And Paul says, hey, drink a little wine. That's going to help you. All the winos, all the alcoholics, they know that verse, right? But again, it was for medicinal purposes. It was for medicine. So again, the balance of Scripture. We need to be balanced and biblical as we go through God's Word. Oil, many times used to cure dangerous diseases. If you remember, Ken Graves, he came and he gave us a great teaching even on that. How the oil would touch those things which they could not see, but the oil would heal them. Different topic. Uh, But again, spiritual and practical. We need to have both. James, if we're honest, has been so much practical. But we need the spiritual and the practical. Then verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And we love the first half of verse 15, right? Okay, Lord, I go to the elders. They pray over me. They anoint me with oil. And God, their prayer is going to save me. It's going to heal me. The Lord's going to raise me up. And we love to just stay right there. 
But again, the whole context here, you can't cut out half of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, we've been talking about it. Balance of scripture. The disciples, there was a man, right? He's blind since birth. And the disciples say, hey, Jesus, hey, boss. What did he or his parents do? What sin did they commit that he's blind? Again, he's been blind since birth. So we don't know what that dude did in the belly, right? In his mom's stomach. But the Jews, they believed even in sin while babies were in their mother's womb. If we're honest, the way some of those kids punch and kick, the things they do to the mom, it is sin. But what does Jesus say? Hey, no one's done anything here. I'm just, God's glory is going to happen right now. It was appointed for this time, and I'm going to reveal my glory here. So not every single time someone is sick, is it the Lord, right? And people take that out of context. They sneeze and get that demon away from here, Jesus, right? But again, not every time someone is sick, does it have to do with sin? But sometimes, as we go back to being afflicted and praying, sometimes it's the chastening of the Lord. Sometimes, not every time it's the chastening of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, we turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Again, as we go through moments of pain, sickness, got to cry out to the Lord. Lord, are you chastening me? Lord, is there something I'm not seeing here? Again, oftentimes scripture talks about shepherd and sheep. And when there's a sheep that continually runs away and runs away and runs away, we've all seen that little picture, right? We see the ending picture, right? We don't see the during picture. The shepherd breaks the leg of that sheep and then he wears him on his shoulders all the time. We like the little picture with the shepherd with the sheep. We don't like the picture of the shepherd, right? Clack, right? We don't like that part, right? But that's what he's done. And that is so that the lamb would stay close to the shepherd, And maybe you're here and you've been going through an extremely difficult season. And it's not the government's fault. It's not your neighbor's fault. It's not the other believer you're complaining about's fault. The Lord is chastening you. Because he hates me? No, because he loves you. He cares about you. He wants to draw you nearer to himself. Because, again, verse 15, James chapter 5, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Family, what's the most important healing that we can receive on this earth? It's healing from our sins. 
It's healing in heaven for all of eternity. So if we die with cancer, but the Lord has healed us from our sins and we get to go to heaven, what's more important? Being saved. Again, maybe people won't come to pray with me as often, but sometimes I pray, Lord, may spiritually more than anything else, may they get saved. And Lord, if you don't heal them, but they get right with you, Lord, that's awesome. That's great enough. Again, that the most important thing in this life, it's our spiritual state. Who is our father, right? Who is our master? That's the most important thing. Again, it will save the sick. Sometimes it is that spiritual saving. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven, right? And now the next way of saving, they can be saved right there on the spot. Sometimes that happens. They get saved miraculously. Sometimes later on, it's a progression. Again, we see that with Jesus. Sometimes they're healed on the spot. Sometimes the guy's like, I think I see trees or men or some type of shadow. And right? Jesus wipes his eyes again. And, and then he sees. Sometimes he says, hey, go to the river. Wash yourself seven times. Again, the Lord, he moves differently each and every time. Sometimes it's through medicine. Sometimes it's through technology. So again, that we would be balanced in our belief that we have the faith. Lord, you can heal me if you want. Lord, I pray that you'd heal me spiritually above everything else. Lord, show me what's going on. And then, Lord, I do. I pray that you would heal me from these infirmities, this affliction, this sickness that I'm going through. And again, in the context of the person who's sick, in the context of people praying for him, now verse 16, it tells us, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We don't like that part of the healing process, right? Hey, dude, I just want you to heal me. I stubbed my toe. I just want you to heal my toe, right? Verse 16, you want me to confess my trespasses to one another? I don't know if I like that part. But again, this is the biblical part of it. It's not just one way. It's confessing your trespasses to one another, right? We just like it one way. Yeah, yeah, you confess your sins to me. But the true biblical portion of this is that we're confessing our sins one to another. That's the body of Christ. That's the body being sharpened so that we can what? Pray for one another. Again, got to be careful. Certain religions, it's only one way, right? You confess your sins to me, and that's it. We're done with it. But biblically, we should be confessing our sins one to another so that we can pray for one another that you may be healed. Again, sometimes our sicknesses, our infirmities, it's because we're in sin. But also spiritual healing. Being freed from gossip, being freed from lying, being freed from immorality, from pornography, from living a double life. That's being healed. That's being made whole. And then again, it tells us here the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. Again, a mature Christian praise. Family, are we praying? Or again, you think of the context of James chapter 5. You see things that are going on that aren't fair? Hey, are you praying, right? When you come to church, do you think of, man, house of prayer? Is that our mindset? But again, as believers, as that righteous man, that fervent prayer, the one who prays on top of praying, is that how we're praying? What's an effective prayer? Biblical prayers. That's why it's important to, again, know the word of God. 
Pray scripture, right? You don't know what to pray? Go through the Psalms. Pray those things. Lord, break their teeth. No, don't pray that one, right? Or pray. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let's see what the Lord tells you, right? But that we would pray scripture. That is going to be effective prayers within the will of God. And again, that word fervent, it's not how much sweat or how much muscle. No, it's just over and over and over again. We see that as a constant through the life of Christ, right? The perfect one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he went by himself to pray. He went to the mountain to pray. He rose early in the morning to pray. Hey, you guys go on ahead. I'm going to stay back and pray. We need it, family. May we grow this year in praying. The end of 2020, there's still a couple prayer meetings left that we would come and say, no, we need to be given to prayer. Then verse 17 It's a great encouragement to us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Again, the Lord, he's so cool right now. My devils are going through 1 Kings. I literally just read this yesterday for my devotion on how the Lord does that. And verse 17, it's telling us Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It's telling us, hey, Elijah was just one of the guys. Nothing that special about him. One version says, Elijah, he put his pants on one foot at a time, one leg at a time. Just like anybody else. A nature like ours. He wasn't super spiritual. He didn't float around, right? This man that could rain fire, call on God and God would answer his prayer and rain fire down from heaven. This man that was able to resurrect a boy that died and encourage this widow. He was just like any of us. But he prayed and he sought the Lord and the Lord answered his prayer. Again, it's cool the whole context. God tells him what to pray. God tells him what to do. And then he's obedient to it. So again, what's the Lord telling you to pray for? What is the Lord telling you how much to pray? That we'd be obedient to that because the Lord wants to do it. And again, it's not about being super spiritual. Or totally out of this world, right? Oh, Zach, no, no, he, he's got it, right? The Lord's giving it to him. No, man, I'm just like everybody else. Every one of the pastors, we're just like everybody else. Again, that we would pray more and more. Verse 19 and 20, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death. And cover a multitude of sins. Again, the whole context here. You're in a season where there's people taking advantage. People not being fair. People not being right. What should we not do? What should we do? What should we not do? Shouldn't complain. Shouldn't murmur. Shouldn't grumble. That's not what we should be doing. What should we be doing? We should be praying. We should be singing. We should be gathering with one another. We should be encouraging one another. We should be getting to know one another more and more. Because we're all like Elijah's, right? We hear that, whoa, you're like Elijah. No, man, we're all just like everybody else. The only special thing within us is the Lord, right? I know how often you realize that sometimes I'm in a meeting at church or in the pastor's meeting, and sometimes I just laugh like, dude, if it wasn't for the Lord, we would have never hung out. We would have never hung out. We would have been on opposite sides of the spectrum, right? But because of the Lord and what he's done, we're the body of Christ, right? It's so cool. We have 
police officers here. We have ex-cons here. Hopefully we don't have current cons, right? Current convicts here, right? Current lawbreakers. That's, that's not biblical. Again, be biblical. But we have right, ex-cons and we have police officers here. And again, the body of Christ. That's the body of Christ. So for us to have that mindset, Lord, help me to pray more. Lord, help me to care more about those who are hurting. Lord, help me to reach out more. Again, we're so consumed with ourselves and what the world tells us that everything in this world, it's about me, right? That's what the world tells me. Everything in this world is about me. I step into a place. What can they give me? What can they offer me? That shouldn't be our mindset as believers. And when we come to church, our mindset should be, what can I give? Who can I bless? Who can I encourage? And that, again, should be our mindset and our heart 